Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. I appreciate that extra energy and the good morning. And so, hey, my name is Brandon Lean. I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff. And so this morning, I'm thankful just to be up here preaching. Uh, Pastor Kurt uh, does such an incredible job just allowing the team and staff to rotate and and to preach, and so we have such a, an incredible team. So it really is a blessing to be here. So can we just give it up for Pastor Kurt and the rest of the staff? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And so before I get going too far, we have been in this sermon series uh, about mercy and breaking the huddle and uh, really kind of, I would say, one of m- more of the passions in my heart inside of ministry is, is this theme, this mercy and outreach and helping people and so at the end of this uh, series will be uh, November 6th. It'll be Sunday, November 6th. We're having um, dinner on the grounds. And so everybody like dinner on the grounds? Woo, woo, woo. All right. Yeah, it's fun. Apparently you guys like food more than church. No, I'm kidding. Uh, has anybody not been to dinner on the grounds? Okay, a couple people. It's an exciting time to come. You come to regular service, and then we go back to the gym, and, and we hang out. We have food. And, but on top of that, uh, to end this series, we are inviting some of our local organizations that we have partnered with, that we do life with, that we do ministry with, that we're affiliated with inside of the church. And so those are just some of the organizations. And so for Dinner on the Grounds on the 6th, we'll be going back there, and these organizations will have tables set up and you'll get to know them. You'll be exposed to what they're doing. There'll be a resource for you to, to be able to get connected with and know what's going on in the community. Or maybe that just that you have what they do uh, readily available and you can give that to somebody when you run into them that might need those resources. And so we want to end this series not just with a bunch of uh, hypotheticals and, and thought of what we should be doing, but some real-life application of things you can actually do to get involved with our community uh, as far as mercy and outreach goes. And so we're excited for you to, to be a part of that. Invite your friends and family because um, everybody likes a, a good old-fashioned food together. Amen? Amen. Well, we're gonna, let's go right in the Word this morning. We're going to be in Zechariah chapter 7. Verse 9, uh, Old Testament, Zechariah, prophet, uh, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9. And, and really, you don't have to search very far, Old Testament, New Testament, to see that one of the things that God repeats consistently throughout scriptures, through his prophets, through his own, through his own words, through, uh, through the apostles, and through the teaching of Jesus, is he deeply cares about how we treat other people. And specifically, not even just other people, but like people that are less fortunate, people that are down and out, the outcasts, the orphans, the widows, those people that, that potentially might be in a lesser social economic status than we are. It, it, it's from the beginning to the end, the way that we treat people, it is a very important uh, application takeaway from the Bible. And so uh, that is what we're picking up on here in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9 and This is what it says. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Pretty important when the Lord's saying it. Not that the Bible isn't important, but it's like important with special emphasis that this is actually what the Lord is saying. And so you have to pay attention. And even the picture that you get right there, when you look at that verse, it kind of reminds me of like there's an army in heaven. Like, could you just capture that thought for a second? Like, like if it's one thing for us to take this verse and apply it personally in our life, but, but like ratchet that up just a little bit. This is the Lord 
This is God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creation, the, the, I mean, the, the Lord of the greatest army that's ever existed, that ever will exist. He is saying this to us. And so he is, you know, dwindling down to the singular point in thought for us to focus on together that he has all of this uh, miraculous and amazing uh, creation and these armies and all these things. And it's like a, all of this, but to remind you of what's most important. And so this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. He says, judge fairly. Show mercy. Judge fairly, show mercy and kindness to one another. So it says to judge fairly, show mercy and kindness to one another. There's that word that gets repeated a lot throughout scripture when it's talking about other people. How we treat one another is an important piece. And so to show mercy and kindness to one another. Verse 10. And this is the theme that's repeated quite often in scripture. Do not oppress widows. So do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. And do not scheme against each other. And so that word mercy is to is to really, you have the power or even maybe even the right to inflict harm or judgment or punishment, but you choose not to. And so to show mercy is, uh, this person deserves this from me, but I don't give it to them. They deserve for me to treat them a certain way. They deserve for me to yell at them. They deserve for me to kind of be ugly or to tell them, I'm just gonna tell them where they're wrong, clearly, But instead of doing that, you step back and actually you show mercy. And it even drills down a little bit further and it says that you show kindness. Mercy, kindness, to show mercy, to show kindness. That kindness means to have tenderness. Listen, somebody, this is good. To have tenderness with people who are different. You see, it's really easy for me to be tender with my wife. I'm crazy about her. It's not real difficult for me to go, you're amazing, you're awesome, you're beautiful, and be tender with her. But you know what's real hard for me to do is to be tender with the guy that drove by screaming and flipping me off this morning on the way to study for preaching. True story. Yeah, Kurt. (laughs) Let me tell the whole story, Pastor Kurt. (laughs) I was going to give you mercy publicly. uh... But you know what? That's probably a good takeaway. Next time somebody does, that, somebody does that to you, just think, that might be Pastor Kurt. <laughs> and that might be a good way to show a little mercy and kindness. And, but that was not the thought I had. The thought I had is if I walked up on stage with bloody knuckles and a black eye, it might disqualify the message to be kind to other people today. Amen? <laughs> so I just hit him with my car. That's it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Actually, you know, it was divine that my wife was with me, probably. You know, because sometimes you... You react stupidly. But if we're looking at scripture, it says to show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows. So most of this theme is that you have the power to do something to somebody and you don't. Or most of this room, we are one of the most affluent areas. Okay, this is an affluent area. We all are living in that area. It's either you have the power to do something and you choose not to as mercy, or you have the power to do something and you actually do it. And so not to oppress people is not just to inflict harm, but to not oppress people is you have been given a gift 
and you choose to share that gift to help elevate other people to the same status that you are. To help the foreigners, to help the widows, to help the orphans, to help those people that are in a lesser off situation than you are to help elevate them. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. You know, I got this silly story and it kind of goes along with this, but I figure, you know, it's always good when pastors make fun of themselves. Um, makes them look a little bit more human, I think. But so we're sitting in Starbucks drive through Sorry if you've heard this. I don't know if you guys have heard this one before, but a couple of you might have. We're sitting in Starbucks, actually before service. See, I think I get attacked by the enemy greatest sometimes right before church and preaching, okay? I'm sitting in Starbucks drive-thru, and I'm holy. And so the lady pulls up behind me, and, and, and she's on her phone. And, she's doing, and I just catch it in my rearview mirror. She's on her phone, and there's this line that's going on. And, and, of course, I scoot up because I'm paying attention, and I'm not on my phone while I'm in my car driving. And I look back in my rearview mirror, and I start saying mean stuff in my head because now there's, like, two car gaps between me and her in the drive through I'm saying this mean stuff. I look over at my wife. I go, what an idiot. Like, what, what is this lady doing? She's just on her phone texting, and I'm running my mouth, running my mouth, being, being stupid. And sure enough, the Lord tests me just a little bit further. I get up, uh, uh, the next person in front of me is getting their drink, and I'm sitting here, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm sitting there, and we, we feel a, <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> I done told you in my head, now I'm going to tell you out my mouth exactly what I think about you. <laughs> she hit me because she was on her phone. I had a little Nissan Altima, and when I bought this Nissan Altima at that time, it had a little, a little gash in the back of it, and, you know, it was a used car, and it had a pretty good gash. It was a good-sized gash, about the size of my fist, and, you know, I hop out my car, and I, I go back here, and I, and I swear it was like a holy moment all of a sudden. Holy Spirit just rips your heart open. You ever have those moments? And I'm ready to just tell her what for. Get off that phone. You ain't so important. You ain't so blah, 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 blah. And I get to my bumper, and I, and I look at it, and there's not a scratch on there. But there's this big gash in my bumper from when I bought the car, and it's right where she hit me. And she looks at this bumper, and she's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. And I had this moment of like, you know what, I probably should just teach her a lesson, right? Like, it's my job to teach her a lesson, because she might hurt somebody next time, you know. And so that's not what happened. And I go, you know what, it's not a big deal. That, that was there. You know what, you just have a good day. And, and everything inside of me was still screaming. And so sometimes like this applying mercy in situations that you've been guilty of a hundred times too. I don't know how many times somebody's had a honk at me at a light because I'm, I'm scrolling Facebook at my phone. But I didn't think about that in the moment I was yelling at this lady. And so I hop out and I realize that Holy Spirit's working on my heart just a little bit. I showed a little bit of mercy and, you know, stupidly you buy their drink because you're like, well, tell them Jesus loves them or something silly like that. And, you know, that way she just knew that, that something special had happened. And mercy. And a lot of times I learn mercy in the moments that I want to inflict justice. You know, it's easy to give to people when people are looking. And a lot of times we get caught in that trap as church people. It's easy to do things when they look good publicly. But it's hard to do things when it's never going to be recognized in front of groups or in front of people. When nobody's ever really going to know that's how you act when nobody's looking. But it's in those moments when you've been wronged that you choose not to inflict the power that you have over somebody. But to give them the power that you've been given which is mercy. Amen. Pretext a little bit. Uh, Zechariah 7. Uh, Zechariah, um, one of my faves, he had this prophet, and, and seven, he has this like call of justice and mercy to the people, and, 
and he's, he's bringing them back to like repentance and like authentic worship. And he, he's telling them that like, we've got to get back to our first love. We've got to get back to, to, to repenting and like our justice and authentic worship. And, and the people are asking them and they're flooding them with these questions. And they're like, well, what about our traditions? What about our fasting? What about the things that I do publicly that, 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 that shows God that I love him publicly? And, 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 and it goes on in chapter five. And, and the Lord says this in, se- in chapter, uh, chapter seven, verse five. And this is kind of paraphrased for you just a little bit because they're asking all these questions and, and Zechariah's like, you're not getting it. And the Lord says, was that even really for me? Like, was that you're doing really for me? Or was that, was that sacrifice for you to feel good about you? He says, was it really for me or are you doing these things just to please yourself? Mercy. You see, mercy given in the kind of situation that the Lord calls us to give it, pretty hard. It's a sacrifice that costs you something. But when you give mercy and you give uh, out of the kindness that, that elevates you or, or makes you feel good, it makes you look good, it, was it really for God? Or was it just to please yourself? It's the same thing Zachariah was saying then. It's the same thing that God says to us now. He wants to know what are the questions that you're even asking because their questions were even wrong. Like, should I keep doing these traditions? Should I keep fasting? Well, no, you were doing them when you weren't worshiping me. They didn't mean anything. Here's our focus today. The gap between the life we are called to live and the life we are living is seen in how we treat one another. Everybody say one another. One another. One another. How you treat one another. You see, I had um, to protect his identity. I'm gonna call this person Bobby. Bobby is his name. But at my previous church, dearly love him, my friend. Um, actually, previous two assignments ago I was at and. Anyways, Bobby, um, Bobby had a rough personality. He had one of these personalities that, that I had multiple people come to me and complain that he was rough with them and talked rough with them and, and made them feel bad the way that he would talk. He would joke harshly or he would make fun of or he would point out things that are really insecure type of things. And for one, one time I sat Bobby down, two times I sat Bobby down and every time I sat Bobby down and I said, hey, look, like this, this grievance, this issue that you're causing, it's, it's not the way that Christ wants us to treat people and to love on people. And, and so consistently, at, and when I got to those conversations, he would always say, it's not my responsibility how people feel. It's not. Like that, that calling as a believer, that calling as in mercy, that calling in justice, that, that, that Christ-like character is a higher calling. And now it is your responsibility, Bobby. Like you claim to have Jesus Christ living on the inside of you. It is your responsibility to love on people who are weaker than you, to make them feel more comfortable, to to make them feel like they belong and they fit in. And it was one time, it was two times, it was the third time. And I said, Bobby, like the next time that this happens and I'm around, I'm going to correct you in front of them and see how you feel. Well, guess what happens? Sure enough, we're sitting in our little group and Bobby 
pipes up with a, a pretty rough joke. And I gave him the little, are you ready? I said, hey, Bobby, you know it's inappropriate to talk like that to people that are brand new in our church. We want to make them feel comfortable and welcome. So if you could, could you just stand up and excuse yourself until you can act like an adult in this circle? Guess how many times Bobby did that? Zero. It is our responsibility to love on people. It's our responsibility to lower ourselves and make the other people, one another, feel comfortable when they're around us. Amen? Three things get in the way and distort how we treat other people. There's a whole list of them, but I'm going to pick on three today. Three different things. Uh, the first thing that we see consistently is motives. Our motives. A lot of times our motives is what twist and kind of pervert, if you will, kind of twist around what, how we treat other people. What you want out of a situation. Maybe your motive is, is that you're insecure. Maybe your motive is that you want to look better. Maybe your motive is that you actually just don't like people, generally speaking, and you want to keep a distance from them. Whatever your motives are. You see, a lot of times in church world, in the real world, in, the, in, in, in society, we get stuck in a transactional style of relationship. And, and I'll, I'll respect them when they respect me. I'll give them what they give me. But that's not our calling as believers. You know, our calling as believers is to lower ourselves and to make sure that we humble ourselves before other people. The second thing that distorts how we treat other people is distractions. Again, the one another that we're talking about is not our loved ones. The one another that we're talking about is the foreigners, the weaker, the, uh, you know, the, the, the widows, the, the four, like all of those people, the outcasts, the people that don't belong, that you make them like they feel like they do belong. And so the, the second thing that happens a lot of times are the things that are distractions. We make the good things in our life the main things. Your motives Distractions. We take good things in our life and we make them the main thing. That way there's no more space or margin in our life to love on one another. The third thing is apathy. And this one's tough. You see, you take your motives and you, you fill up your life with everything, your, your career, your job, your, your marriage, your life, and the things that you want to give your life to and make great and your, all these things. And then you, you, you take like these distractions and your hobbies and your kids and all the good things in life and you make those the main things. And then what happens in apathy is you have so many of other things going on. It's not actually that you just don't care. It's just that it's so much farther away from your life. There's distance between somebody that's different than you and then actually what you're doing in your life. There's so much distance that you don't understand them. You see, we do this a lot in the, in the church world, is that we, we're overly strong in our opinions about somebody that's, that's gone through a racial injustice or, or somebody who is struggling with homosexuality or, or somebody who is uh, that, that's maybe at the point where they're ready for an abortion. Like we have a strong opinion about it when it's going on around us, but the problem in our life is so full of all these, our, our motives and the distractions, and the, but we're apathetic because we actually don't know anybody in our life that's gone through or is going through those things. You are not qualified to have an opinion on those things until you have somebody that you love going through those things. We have too many opinions, but not enough space to love people going through that. You see, you become apathetic. They become, oh, I see you over there, foreigner, abortion, homosexual. 
race. Uh, but you, have, you don't even have them in your life. Like you don't even know what they really have gone through, but you have an opinion about how they're doing what they're going through. That's not what Christ taught us. That, this is more unchristlike than what they're doing. Let's just have an altar call, huh? <laughs> you know, I, right? Whew. Let's go into scripture one more time. Uh, Zechariah 7, 11. Zechariah's yelling this, one another. He's beating the same drum that I'm gonna beat when I preach. It's one another, how you treat people. Love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the two most important commandments. Do these things and you fulfill the whole law. You don't get to Pasco. You don't get to collect the $100. You don't get to go on to do not steal, kill, all these other things. You've got to obey these two commandments. And so Zechariah, chapter 7, now verse 11, he's saying like your ancestors did the same thing that you're doing. Like you're repeating the same thing that they, they, that they, they stubbornly, it says they stubbornly turned away and they put their fingers in their ears. I don't know. This is. I don't know why I can't get this picture out of my head. All I can get is my my Wyatt. He's a turd, by the way. He's my youngest child, and he is just. A, I don't know where he gets it, but he's hundred miles an hour. He's always talking mess. He's always starting fights, and he's like this much shorter than the rest of the world. And you know, when he says something that really messes with his brother, you know, what one of these, right? I can't hear you. Like he puts his fingers in his ears and he's not listening to what his brother, I'm about to smash you. I can't hear you. Uh-uh, I ain't listening. But that's what Zachariah is saying that they're doing. That's what we do sometimes when these things get pointed out in our own life. It says they stubbornly turned away and put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. Apathetic. They're, they're over there people that are different than me. I'm not listening. I'm not hearing their story. I don't know about their abuse as a child. I don't know about the dangers at home and that's why abortion all of a sudden sounds better than bringing a child into the world. My heart, it says that the heart became as hard as stone. As hard as stone. They stubbornly turned away and put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. And they made their hearts as hard as stone. I got to be vulnerable for a minute. I just feel a little pressure bubbling up on this topic here. You see, it's a trap for us in ministry a lot of times. And managers, executives, parents. You see, we're, we're so good at talking about what you guys should do. And all of a sudden our platform becomes where we talk about all these things that are supposed to be happening in other people's lives. But then there's this gap between who we are privately sometimes. See, I can get up here and scream about loving on orphans and foreigners and them, whoever's them in your life. But if I'm not that person privately, it's all hogwash. You see, there's such a tension when, we're, when your platform begins to get elevated in life. You do a lot of good in your platform. And I can look around this room and I know you do because I know a lot of you and what you do. But then when privately 
you don't still do those things when nobody's looking, probably shouldn't be talking about it publicly. See, we got this generation of people that have paper-thin character privately, but they have these public skill sets that talk about doing these things, but they aren't those people. You see, we're, we're void of rich, deep character privately, where we go out of our way and we sacrifice our own comforts. We go out of our way and we sacrifice our own schedules. We go out of our way and sacrifice our own finances. You go out of your way to help people in certain ways that cost you a comfortable life because they're going through something that you have the power to help them, but you're not actually using that power to help them. And so I have to do that inventory on my heart before I come here and preaching and, and seeing the homeless person at the bus stop this morning and, and the one guy flipping me off and cussing and it's like, oh my gosh, all these tests, God, does it disqualify me? Yeah, I fall short and I'm, I gotta, yes. If you're not catching yourself in the private character moments, listen, this is, you gotta, this is what you take home. Go, go deposit this one in the bank. You see, you can, you, can, you can talk all you want to people, but you will reproduce who you are. You can tell people one thing until you're blue in the face, but the way that you know whether or not that it's true is who you are re reproducing in your life. That you can tell people one thing all you want, but the people that get reproduced by your character is what really matters. Amen? Let's go into James chapter 1, verse 27. I'm doing good on time. I haven't said that very often in my life. Yes, I patted myself on my back publicly. Deal with it. <laughs> James is one of my homies. He's one of the dudes. You know what I like about him is the book of James specifically, the way that it's written, it's just this culmination of like wisdom. It's based out of like the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus, the book of Proverbs. It's just like this combination of all the rich, wise things and like these powerful one-liners. And it's not necessarily written to like a specific church or a specific person, but it's like this takeaway of all the good nuggets of wisdom in the Bible. And so James is one of my, one of my faves to really soak in. And James chapter one, verse 27, it says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for. Everybody say caring for. Pure. See, everybody talks about, I'm not religious, right? I'm, I'm spiritual or I have a relationship, which is good. That's great. You see, but religion's amoral. It's, it's poor character and people that ruin what religion should be. And religion's not good or bad. It's, it's like money. If you do something evil with it, it's evil. If you do something good with it, it's good. But see, James is telling us this, that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress, refusing to let the world corrupt you. That pure means to be pure from, a, from any mixture, any mixture of like contaminants or having a pure and genuine religion is not having mixed motives. And so to live out a pure relationship or a pure religion to, to, to love and care on and be caring for these is to not have mixed motives when you're doing it. And let me go back to my little leadership talk for a second, like that platform. It's really hard not to have mixed motives because it's really effective to tell people about what you do to take care of people sometimes. And it feels real good because you look real good, but then your motives are mixed up. 
And it's hard to stay pure in those things. That's why everybody gets this bad taste about religion sometimes. And so to be caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress, refusing to let the world corrupt you. You see, I think where we get caught up a lot of times is we think we, by caring for those people, whoever it is that you're, that, that's far away from your life, the, the hot topics and uh, whoever that is that's not sitting with you at your table of life, that, that we think if we are to care for and love on these people that we have to agree with their lifestyle. But that's not true. You see, to invite those people in and love on them first, then you can help speak into their lifestyle. So let me ask you this question today. Who is it that you're caring for in your life? Personally, privately. Thank God for your giving here. Thank God for the mission, the ties, the the things we get to do in outreach. But what about privately? Who are the people in your life privately that you're caring for? Whose lives are better because you privately are going out of your way and letting it actually cost you something to make sure that they're not in the same situation that you found them? You see, James, in, uh, in the whole book, which I encourage you to go read that thing, uh, he's opposing two different themes here. Number one is favoritism versus love. True love, Christ's love. He's opposing these themes and he's pointing them out. And so when we look at favoritism, see, favoritism is, is that we treat people different based on their social status. And he's pointing this out in this book of James. And he's pointing out that, that we stopped treating these people like a, 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 an equal playing field, normal citizen because they have lesser economic status than us. That, that we actually are playing favoritisms to the people who benefit us. And so... The first thing that distorts, again, how we treat other people are our motives. See, with our motives, we tend to show favoritism to people who can benefit us. Even scarier, we tend to neglect the people that don't benefit us. We tend to not make time in our schedules to to people who don't benefit us. And I'd be scared to throw my calendar up for the last 30 days. But that's the kind of question that we have to ask ourselves. What kind of people, who is it that we are making time for inside of our schedules? Who is it that we're caring for privately? Who is it that we're discipling mature believers? Who is it that we're we're spending life with? Who is it that we're doing these things to help pull them up out of the situation they're in and pull them to something that's even a little bit better? Who are those people that you're caring for? Let's just close our eyes for a second. I want you to have a moment of reflection. I want you to think about those people. Those people in your life, the ones that benefit you. Now I want you to think about the ones in your life that you neglect potentially because they cost you something. I want you to think about that space, that margin in your life that needs to happen today for you to start living this gospel truth out in your life. What is it that would have to go? What is it that would have to change? What is it that you would have to rearrange in order to make a space to be able to love on somebody that's less fortunate than us? You can open your eyes. The second thing, The second thing that distorts how we treat other people are distractions. 
And specifically, when he's talking about distractions, he's talking about money and desires. The thing that distracts us in our life a lot of times is money and desires. And we even see that in 1 Timothy 6.10. We all know this verse. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. See, if I was to be ultra transparent today, it's where I struggle the most. I think about money a lot. Either the absence or the the having it, the using it, what to do with it. That's the one thing, that's the script that goes through my mind a lot of times is, is, is money and probably growing up a certain way. Is there some scar tissue in there? And, and it's one of those things that constantly run through my mind. How can I fix this? How can I change that? What can I do? It's, a, it's one of those things that constantly go through here. And then when I, when I recenter myself and when I think about why I don't have margin for those people that I should be helping, it's because I put too much of these things in my life. 1 Timothy 6, 17, it it tells us as teachers to teach you guys this principle that that we are to teach those who are rich. We're rich in this room. We're rich in this room. We, We are to teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and trust in your money. I want you to think about this, and it's probably controversial a little bit, so I'll ask forgiveness privately later with Pastor Kirk because he heard a message on mercy, but um, those other people. There's probably 20 approximate verses on same-sex relationships. There's about 2,000 on greed and money and possessions. Man, sometimes we get caught judging people a lot different when they just struggle with sins that look different, you know? See, this money, these possessions, this greed, it's the deadly sin of our generation. It's distraction. It's what distracts us from having the margin and space in our life to give to the people that need what we can give them. I'm gonna invite Josiah and Adrian up, and they're gonna set up a table and distract you guys for a minute, but try to pay attention. So let me ask you this question. How do you treat people? How do you treat one another? You know, if love isn't rude, it, you guys know First Corinthians, right? If it isn't rude, it isn't irritable, what else doesn't love do? Mm. It's not self-seeking. Somebody else. It's not easily angered, Brandon. Somebody else. Yeah. Love isn't rude. It's not irritable. It's not proud. Love doesn't demand its own way. You see, the love of Christ, it revolves around one another. Man, you guys are good. Thank you. The third thing that distorts how we treat one another It's apathy. Apathy. Mm. 
See, this table, it represents our life. The amount of space you have in your life. I got all the things out of my, my, my bag here that I do in my life that are important to me. Checkbook. Millennials, you know what this is? <laughs> this used to be what they call debit cards. <laughs> Jeez, I can't go there. There's my, my marriage. That's, that's a good thing. My boys, they're important. Oh, man, my job. This has got a seat at my table, my job. It's important. My money. My career, the things. I got to have a nice truck. Sports, kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, relationship with the Lord. She got all these things. We got all these things that we put at the table of our lives. Man, it's a good life. It's a good life. It's full. I'm busy. Woo! Pay my bills. Thank you, Lord, because there was a season I couldn't. I remember growing up without power. No food, a trailer. I remember those things. My social status. My career. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I made it. My kids. My family. Apathy. See, apathy happens when the space at our table gets so full that the person that should be at my table is out of sight. And they ain't even got a table. They got nobody inviting them to their table. And I've got my life full of all these good things. All these good things. Matthew 9, 11 says this. This is how Jesus lived, by the way. So if you want to be Christ-like, let this be said of you. The church people, they're looking, at, they're looking at Jesus and the disciples. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're trying to trap Jesus in something. We got him. <laughs> we got him. And they go to the disciples and they go, why does your teacher eat with such scum? <laughs> Why do you not? Why do we not have people that sin differently than us at our table? If we're gonna live this gospel out, there has to be room at your table. Something's got to give. Something's got to change. A, a wise leader in my life said once that he just put the keys on the table. 
and he slid those things into the middle. And that just represented, it's all on the table. And God wants you to slide all those things right to the middle of the table. He wants you to take all that stuff, your fasting, your tradition, your routines, your rhythms, your, your kids. And he wants to know that all this stuff belongs to him. Because then all of a sudden, somehow in God's economy, he starts changing the seating at your table a little bit. You know, he starts changing how things look a little bit. Maybe he starts taking away things that don't matter as much. And maybe he starts like putting these things together and now this is a, a, a different kind of platform than he had intended. And when everything slid into the middle of the table and there's a little bit of space now left at my table, he can invite that person in that has no table to sit at. Go ahead and stand up for me, please. If you'll bring the house lights down, please. If we had a refocus today, here's my refocus, okay? The gap between the life that you're living and the life we should be living is determined by who sits at your table. Your life, the space, the margin that you have in your life for other people. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if your table looks like this or how it looks. But I know one thing for sure that we can all get better together. I know that for sure. Because I know that we're in a church of people whose hearts only want to serve the Lord. We are rich with people wanting to know how to grow stronger and greater and deeper in the relationship with the Lord. So we're gonna open up these altars as they go into this song for me. This altar's open. Just a few moments before we send you out of here and you go do football and food and all the things. But maybe you're here today and you realize that you needed to make some space at your table. Maybe you've been putting things as a priority in your life that's good things, but it's not supposed to be the main thing. Maybe your job, your career, your bank, your bank account has been a little bit of idolatry in your life. Maybe it's been more important than actually loving on people or, or being there for orphans and widows and the, the distressed. You guys can go ahead and start. I want to invite you to God's table this morning. Right here. This altar. This altar is open for us this morning as a body of believers to come and lay down anything that's been having too much space in your life. He may be just nudging on your heart this morning and saying, there's more I've created you for. There's more that I've created for you to do. 
There's something that I've given you with your platform that you could be doing something even greater and grander than you're doing right now, but you're distracted. Your motives have been impure. You're, 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 you've been paying attention to the wrong thing, but, but this morning the table is open for you you can get out of your seat and you can walk right down here and you can put your face on this altar and you can have a conversation with God and say, God, what is it? Everything in my life is in the middle of the table right now, God. I lay it at the middle of this altar today and I, I, I lay down anything that's been taking too much of my life up, Lord, that this life that you've given me is yours. This job that you've given me is yours. This, this family that you've given me is yours. Lord, I ask that you just speak to whoever it is in this morning that it's time to let go of that identity in the world, that identity in their money, that identity as a parent. Those are good things, but it's not what you created us to be. We are your children. We are ambassadors. We are chosen. We are called to be a light in a dark world. And so I just ask you right now, Father, that you'll continue to speak to people this morning, that you'll pull them out of their comfort zones, God that you'll pull them out of their, their, their easy living, Lord, that the things that they've got to start sacrificing and saying, I'm, I'm ready to go deeper, Lord. I'm ready to go deeper with you this morning, Lord. In the name of Jesus, let's just worship together. Amen.